Would you guys open your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 6? And we are going to get into our Bible study this morning. As you're turning there, we're kind of churning and considering uh, what Christian just read from Philippians chapter 4. And it, it's so um, important that we have our minds on this because this is where Jesus is going at the end of chapter 6 here at the midway point of the Sermon on the Mount as we transition out of chapter 6 and complete that this week. And then next week we'll begin the final chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. Paul in Philippians 4 really is echoing the teachings of Jesus as he says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Instead of worry, Paul's pointing the church in Philippi to approach every circumstance of their lives through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Approach every circumstance that you're facing in the following way. And interestingly enough, the word that he uses there, which we translate petition, is deasis. In the Greek, which means to seek or request. And as you probably already know, the passage that we're going to read this morning as we look at Matthew 6 at the end is going to say, seek first the kingdom of God. Persist in seeking after or looking after the kingdom of God. This is the thing that we pursue. And within the context of scripture, we'll see a consistent teaching for all of humanity. It's to be free of anxiety and worry. And for us to do that, we must be people who persist in seeking and requesting of God from a thankful heart. We have to be seekers and we have to be those who make requests of God with thankfulness. And how often do we actually do those things? Do we seek after in every moment of every lives, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whether you're here at church, whether you're at a sporting event, are we seeking after God throughout every aspect of our lives and bringing the awareness of our worship of God into every situation? And I mean every situation. As Christian talked about this morning, worship is not limited to music. However, we've confined it to that in many ways, just from our phraseology. Because when I tell you, come out for a worship service, you probably think music. You probably think of some kind of song, which is okay to a certain extent because music is part of how we worship. But it's only part. Our whole lives are supposed to be lived in a way of worship, in a position or posturing of worship. And we recognize this as well. We weren't born to be worshipers. We were born worshiping. So we are always moving in a progressive state in our lives, walking towards something that we're worshiping. And that's why it's so easy to find idolatry in our lives because worship doesn't cease, it redirects. Worship in our lives is always going in a direction. And so, so much of our lives when we have anxiety, when we have stress, when we have worry, is we've redirected the focus of our lives to something that's not worthy of our worship. And if you read in the Old Testament uh, books of the Bible that talks a lot about becoming what we worship. If you become what you worship and you're not worshiping God, you're becoming something that can't save you, something that leads to death. That's the danger of idolatry. And so Jesus is going to call us to seek after God and his kingdom and his purposes. And, and it's so important for us when we think about persisting in seeking and in requesting of God from a thankful heart that we remember this. Our circumstances are not the source of our anxiety. I'm going to say it again because I think we need to get this home. Our circumstances are not the source of our anxiety. Our circumstances provide a choice to give in to worry and stress or to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. 
circumstances that we live in, situations that we face, present a choice. They are not the reason why we're filled with stress. It's how we're responding to it. And it's so vital that we recognize that because if I start to believe that my circumstances are the cause, then I'm controlled by them. What do you know? I have an idolatry problem. But if I look at them as the opportunity to make the choice of whom I serve or what I serve, I have the opportunity in those circumstances to glorify God. I love that the sun's popping out right now. I hope it stays. Don't go away. <sighs> it's like right through the stained glass. <laughs> 1 Samuel 30 is a really good example of this. Don't worry, I am going to get to the end of Matthew 6, I promise. But in 1 Samuel 30, there's this really cool example of this, this concept. David and his men had gone out to fight in this battle. They were going to fight actually for the Philistines at the time. They said, no, you're not going to fight for us. You're not going to fight against your people. They send them home, and they had left their families in a town called Ziklag. Aren't you glad you don't live in Ziklag, Idaho? That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> How'd you like to write Ziklag on your, your envelopes or your emails? No one uses envelopes anymore. Anyway, so David and his men come back to Ziklag to find that their families, while they were gone, were kidnapped by the Amalekites. Their wives, their children, everything has been taken. Pretty stressful situation, I would say. That's a little intense. I don't know the last time you came home and your wife and your children were gone and there's just a note taken by the Amalekites. We'll return never, right? That'd be a dire situation. Things were pretty bad. And verse 6 of 1 Samuel 30 says this. David was in an extremely difficult position because the troops, these are his men, talked about stoning him. For they were all very bitter over the loss of their sons and daughters. People lose their cool when circumstances get dire. Men that were loyal to David want to kill him because of what's going on. But we would be remiss here if we didn't look at the end of the verse. And in verse 6, it says at the very end, but David found strength in the Lord his God. David was not altered by the fact that his men, his guys, these guys that are loyal to him want to kill him now. I don't know how I would feel if the entire church wanted to kill me at the same time. I'm used to some of you all the time, but I mean like all of you at the same time, that would be pretty rough. Would I find myself in David's shoes strengthening myself in the Lord in those moments? Finding my strength in God and who he is and not looking at all the things around me and becoming disheartened or broken by them. So David's circumstances were an opportunity to either rely on the Lord or to give in to fear. One more example before we move forward. It's actually from Paul further along in Philippians chapter 4. Because we read an early part of Philippians 4 this morning. Later on in that chapter, Paul's thanking the church in Philippi for providing financially for him, providing for his physical needs, but he finds it necessary to remind them of where true provision comes from. Because he recognizes and thanks them. I thank you for your support. I thank you for what you've done. But he reminds them of something vital in verses 11 through 13. It'll be on the screen as well. He says, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through Christ or through him who strengthens me. In any and all circumstances, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. 
He's really just putting into words what we see David live out in that situation in Ziklag. And what's funny is that this, that verse that I just read to you, that verse 13 of Philippians 4, it's often misquoted to encourage us to be better football players or musicians. I can do all things. Well, there, there's some context to that, isn't there? The context of the situation, the context of Paul's statement comes from about being able to do all things is from contentment. He's talking about being able to do all things because he is content with what God has him in, where, where he is and what he's been given. The context is so vital. It's not that you can do all things. You're like, yes, I can break the pull of gravity off my feet. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I really don't think that's going to work. I really don't. Do you guys want to try? You want to stand up and jump and see what happens? Mike does. He's shaking. Yeah, let's do that. No, I'm, just, I'm not going to make you do that. You can later if you want. But don't, by all means, test it on the flight of stairs. You guys understand what I'm saying, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is talking about the context of learning to be content with what God has provided. And is that not what we're talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount? As Jesus says, don't look at possessions. Don't look at the things that the Gentiles pray for. Don't look at all these things around you in life for provision. He says, look to God. Seek first his kingdom. You can do this in God's strength. You can live this way in God's strength. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you within the context of being content with what you have. Being content with what God's provided. The Lord's strength is what we rely upon. And you notice that oftentimes when we think of verses like that, we want to make them about us. I can do all things. It's not, we're not the point of that statement because it's the God who strengthens you that enables you. The proper context that God receives the glory when he strengthens us to endure hardship, to continue through those things, to stand fast and stand tall and to strengthen ourselves in him for people to go, wow, you are not able to do that. You must serve one powerful God. That is redirecting and reflecting our father. Our circumstances are not the source of our anxiety. Misplacing our faith is. Misplacing our faith is the source of our anxiety and our stress. Because if our faith is in the Lord, we can be like David or Paul. We can be like Moses. We can be like any of these guys. And you're like, these are exceptional people. These are exceptional people. They're just people. Jesus is Lord. And he's the one that's working in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And so we can rely on him for these things. If my faith is in God and I'm about his work, I'm about his will, I want him to be glorified, I can do all things in that direction. I can accomplish whatever he puts in front of me so long as he is glorified in it. But if my faith is in other people and possessions and money itself, as Jesus has already addressed, worry and anxiety will reign. I'm going to be stressed out. I'm going to freak out. I'm not going to be very pleasant to be around. It comes down to whom we serve or what we serve. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, which led into this text that we've been studying together, verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, since he either will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He says you can't have two masters. 
It's interesting because in that context, we talked about it. We talked about how you can have two bosses, but you can't have two masters. In the context of what he's talking about here, you belong to one. And he says, you, you belong to one. Stop living a life like you can live in two different worlds at once. We can't get caught up in that church. So last week we learned from Jesus how to observe creation. How to look at things around us and to look at the, the birds and to look at the flowers and be like, gosh, if God provides food for the birds, if he provides flowers, you know, they're, they're amazing colors and, 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 and adorns them in this beautiful dress. Like, why are we so concerned about this, right? And so now we move from the examples of God's provision to setting our sights on what God has put us here to do. And it's to be kingdom people in a fallen world. We're here to seek the kingdom of God, and we've seen, in fact, that the kingdom of God came so near in the incarnation that Jesus said, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here in front of you, and if the Holy Spirit is in us, then kingdom life should be right here in the midst of this room. Amen? Amen. Cool. Okay, we're all done then. We don't need to do this. No, I'm just kidding. Let's go. Okay, verse 31, reading in Matthew 6. Jesus continues, so don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's interesting to look at verse 31 in context of who God is. You know, God is our triune God. He's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting that we replace him oftentimes with a, a triune set of worry? What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? It's like this, this replacement of all of God's provision with all of my concern about how I'm going to get these things, even though God says I provide them for you. I replace my trust in him with worry of these things instead of reliance upon him. And it's interesting to look at the passage and from what scripture teaches as a whole, God's children are not promised to be free from work. We're not promised to be free from work. Sorry, all the teens are like, what? Why? <laughs> all the adults, why? <laughs> We're not promised to be free from work. We're not promised to be free of trouble. In this world, you will know what it's like to be persecuted. Jesus said, if they treated me this way, why won't they do the same to you? It doesn't make sense, does it? Yet we're like, why, should, why should I have to suffer? Why should I have to face persecution? We're not promised to be free of trouble. We're not promised to be free from work. But we are promised that in Christ, we can be free from worry. You don't have to be enslaved to worry. You don't have to be enslaved to stress or anxiety. These are things that you are free from. Church, are you hearing me? Do you know how many pastors are stressed out? I know a handful of pastors. Many of them are stressed out. Sometimes it's me. Most of the time it's my staff because of me. But you guys, we are promised that in Christ we can be free from worry. Worry is forbidden for us. It's incompatible with the Christian faith. Worry, I'm going to keep repeating myself, worry is incompatible with the Christian faith. Do you want to know why I say that? Verse 31, Jesus says, don't. I'm sorry, is that not profound for you? That's profound for me. I'm sitting there scratching my head this week like, 
I don't, I don't usually do it like that. But I, you know, I'm scratching my head. I'm like, he just says don't. Don't do that. Stop. And he doesn't leave us there to do that on our own. He's not like, come on, you got the muscle. Don't. Jesus says, my spirit in you. Don't. My strength in you. Stop. You don't have to give in to these things. You're listening to a lie to think that you have to be worrisome, that you have to be stressed out, that you have to have anxiety. Jesus said, don't. It's incompatible. It doesn't represent him at all when we're this way. And here's the thing. That's not supposed to put pressure on us. It's to hit that release valve. I don't have to carry that. I don't have to stress about these things. I can be free from them. And we shouldn't worry about how we worry either. I didn't misspeak. We shouldn't worry about how we worry. Do you ever get like stress levels? I'm not handling this very well. Now I'm a terrible Christian. Oh, great. Now I'm a horrible father. You know, and then we start going back and forth. And before you know it, we're sitting out in the ring. It's like freaking out, having a full meltdown. I've had meltdowns, not nuclear, but it was close. You guys, we can't worry about how we worry. Maybe I'm not saved because I'm, I'm struggling with trusting God. First of all, that's when you apply the prayer of Mark chapter 9, where the father says, I believe, but help my unbelief, as he, he's asking Jesus to pray for his son to, re to release him from this, this demon that's possessing him. He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I was like, I'm struggling here. I'm weak in this area. Will you help me? What does Jesus do? I'll get some more faith. I'll be back tomorrow. No, he just heals his son. He honors it. He releases that demon from him. He frees him. You realize sometimes Jesus just wants us to come to him and admit that we can't. So many times he's bringing us to the end of ourselves so that we will come to him and say, you win. I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know how to do this anymore. And he's like, great. Let me help you. What's encouraging to me too, church, is that Jesus knew what it was like to be deeply troubled. Jesus knew what it was like to feel the weight of this life. John 12, verses 27 through 28, Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? But that's why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This is powerful, you guys. Then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. I'm sorry. That's one of those moments in the Gospels where you're like, they had to have had goosebumps, like head to toe, where Jesus says, like, I'm troubled. I can't ask the Father to save me from this hour because it's why I'm here. And so he says, instead, instead of freaking out, instead of losing it, Jesus in his holiness and his purity says, Father, glorify your name. And the Father says, I have and I'll do it again. Church, Christ in you, the work that he's doing in your life. If you are willing to come to him and say, I don't know, but glorify your name in me, he will do it again and again for all the days of your life. He will glorify himself. See what you're being put up against when it comes to these things to reverse your trust in him to something else. You're being tested whether you're really going to be faithful to what he's called you to do or not. Because I'll tell you what, I'm a results person. I don't know about you. I like to see results. I like to see something finished and completed and go, all that work I did, that's it. That's what I'm looking for. 
has God called us to results? He's called us to faithful obedience. Where does the results lie? Whose job are the results? That's God's. It's my job to be faithful to do what he's called me to do. It's going to be his job for those results. Why? Because when he brings about the results, he is glorified. If I'm working to bring about results, I will take the attention from him. I will take the glory from, from him. And maybe the thing that you've been praying about the most, the person you've been praying about the most, the situation you've been praying about the most, you're like, why isn't God working? Maybe it's because if he worked right now, you would get credit. Maybe he's waiting so that he can receive all the glory. Are we willing to come to that place that Jesus did in John 12 and say, I'm really broken. Should I ask God to just take this away? Or should I pray like Jesus and say, Father, glorify your name right here in this. In this brokenness, in this wretched situation I'm in, would you glorify your name here? And do we trust God to say, I will. And I'll do it again. And I'll do it again. Just keep submitting yourself to me. Keep giving yourself to me. Hebrews 4 verse 15 always encouraging. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. That doesn't mean Jesus lords that over us. He understands the weight and he provides help. He provides comfort. He provides encouragement there. The correction is always good. The discipline is always good because he's training us through the process. But don't look at your situation and think that God doesn't know what you're going through. And I'm not talking about head knowledge. He has experienced it. He has lived it. He has felt it. He is able to sympathize. And whenever I read a verse like that, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. I always think about it in the reverse. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. The reverse of that's so encouraging, isn't it? That's so encouraging to me that Jesus gets me. That he understands and that he's been through worse. And then I can look to him for strength because if he can submit and honor the Father in his circumstances and his Holy Spirit is in me, then I can do the same. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen? Jesus knows what it feels like to be troubled and to feel the temptation to worry, and he showed us how to handle it. You submit to God's plan, it's faith. Faith is the answer. And faith isn't an empty word. Well, just have faith, brother. That's not it. That's not what I'm saying. If you have faith in God, your hope is in a rock-solid foundation. And you can believe in that. We're consumed with so many things in this world. And we need to be really honest about this. We're consumed with the welfare of the body how to feed it, how to clothe it, how to warm it, how to cool it, how to refresh it, how to entertain it, how to relax. We, we do it like it's in all things. Oh, is that too far removed? Everyone in the head's like, boom, boom, boom. You guys, we, we are absolutely consumed with how to feed our flesh, how to take care of our flesh, how to look after our flesh. And Jesus says, don't worry about food, drink, clothing. The whole world around us is eagerly seeking these things. Eagerly, This is the stuff that we need. This is what our life's all about. I think something that we need to talk about in this context, and we have time to do that. <clears throat> Sorry, puberty. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, 
you guys, it's not. <laughs> BJ, we'll just cut that one out. <laughs> the whole world is eagerly seeking after these things, right? But I think that sometimes we'll look at sin, okay? We'll look at sin in this context and we'll say, well, I'm not seeking after sin. I really am seeking after the things of God. Fair. But in Hebrews chapter 12, there's a very fascinating verse that says that looking to Jesus, as we run towards Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we should lay aside the weight and the sin that clings to us. The writer of Hebrews differentiates between sin that clings and weight that's unnecessary. In the idea or the realm, just allow me to digress for a moment, in the realm of weight that is unnecessary, I think the American Christian church has way more than it should have. I think we have way more weight in our lives that we would look at and say, this thing isn't expressly sinful. Yeah, but it's really weighing you down. Maybe you need to let it go. Maybe it's weight that's hindering your process, your path, and you're choosing that. And there's a dangerous point there where something that's, that's amoral, meaning that it's not wrong to have, it's not necessarily good to have, it's all about how we use it, but we have these things in our lives that we start using for ourselves, and that does become sin. That adds to the sinfulness of the cling that sticks to us in Hebrews 12. But there's an example in this, kind of the, the early onset stages in Scripture, because people like you and I get, to caught, get caught, I think, often worrying about things that don't matter. We get caught worrying about things that don't matter. There are things that matter that we should pray about, that we should seek God about, but there's a whole pile of things sometimes that we just freak out about that aren't even worth it. Do you ever look back in hindsight and go, why was I so upset? It really didn't matter that much. Fascinating situation in Scripture gives me a comparison to a biblical character. Most of the time I compare myself to Peter, foot and mouth syndrome, right? But there's another character in scripture that I really connect with. It's Martha. I really connect with Martha. I don't know about you guys. You're like, Martha? Yeah, Martha. You remember Mary and Martha, the sisters, they had a brother named Lazarus, kind of a deadbeat, but he came back. <laughs> anyway, for more, see John 11. But no, if you guys <laughs> consider this situation, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. I have a feeling you're familiar, but if you're not, this, is, this will be fresh for you. It's good either way. While they were traveling, he entered, Jesus, a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. Pause. That was the position of a disciple. Someone who's learning from the Lord, by the way, she sat at his feet and was listening. She's in the posture and position of a disciple, okay? But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. But one thing is necessary. Period. One thing is necessary, he says. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. While Mary is in this posture and position of a disciple learning from Jesus, Martha's worried and upset about all the chores that need to be done. In this situation, most often I'm Martha and I'm not Mary. 
because I'm all about what needs to be done. There are so many things that need to be done right now. Do you have any idea what needs to be done? You come into the office, you open the computer, and it just starts coming. Blum, emails and this and that, and a phone call and rings, and, and all these things are going on. It's early in the morning. I've got to get it done now because if I don't get it done now, it's not going to get done, and if it doesn't get done, who's going to do it? Right? And by the time you get to lunch, I'm a hot mess. Right? You guys, we start getting into this stuff. I got to do this. I'm a task-oriented person. If those boxes are not getting checked, then something is wrong in my universe. Yet Jesus looks at Martha, Mike, and says, there's one thing that's necessary. This is the necessary thing. Jesus says, there's one thing that's necessary, and you're so busy over here, your sister's doing it right. She's prioritizing the one thing that's necessary. Church, don't miss the relational connection when it comes to us and Jesus and our lack of peace in this life. Our lack of rest, our de-stressing, our anxiety-free opportunity. I'd like to present to you an anxiety-free opportunity. That, this is it. It's that relational connection with Jesus. It's having relationship with him. It's choosing to sit at his feet. No, those things aren't going to get done for a little while. That's okay. That's going to be okay. But for so many of us, those things, which would be good things, have become idols because we've made them ultimate over serving him. I am serving him. You're not spending time with him. I'm not spending time with him when I prioritize stuff over him. And I don't know about you guys, I don't get de-stressed the more things that I accomplish. I get de-stressed when I spend time with Jesus. My anxiety melts away when I spend time with him. There's one thing that's necessary. How many of us are Marthas loved by Jesus? Don't get me wrong. Aren't you glad he's not basing his love for us on these things? He's not. We are absolutely loved all the way to the bottom of our toes by Jesus. So much of us, though, is consumed with things that need to be done. And I I wonder right now how many of us are being convicted by that. How many of us are feeling that I am a task-oriented person. I need to check my boxes. I need to get all these things done, and then I feel satisfied. You should be satisfied in your relationship with Jesus before any of those things even happen. Because you're a son, you're a daughter, you belong to him. There are needs and there are wants in this life. Notice this in the text. It says, the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear, but your heavenly father knows you need them. God knows your needs God even gives us things I think sometimes that we want in this life, but we don't need them. Don't mix those two up. We trust him with our needs. Being his disciples like Mary, sitting at his feet, spending that time with him, you're going to notice something happens. We will all notice this together. If we do this as a church, if we seek after these things, no, we're not perfect, but if we begin going in this direction, relationally staying connected to Christ, do you know what you become? A seeker of the kingdom. 
a seeker of his righteousness, of what he wants. He aligns our hearts in that place. And that's why Jesus says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If I'm not seekingly, or seekingly, <laughs> eagerly seeking the things of this world like Gentiles do, and I'm seeking after the things of Jesus, I become a seeker of the kingdom and of his righteousness. And all these things, what's he talking about? Food, drink, clothing will be provided for you. Not the wants, the needs, the necessary. Those things will be provided when I'm going about what God has called me to do and committing my life to him. So many people, like if I seek first the kingdom of God, do I get that thing I want? Do I get this life that I want? Do I get to have these things that I want? No, that's called entitlement. He's going to provide your needs. He's going to provide the things that you must have. And I can entrust that to him when I'm seeking his kingdom. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, I mentioned this earlier, in Galilee, in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, some things have taken place before, and Jesus at this point is moving on to the region of Galilee. And after John was arrested, so that's John the Baptist, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. This is the message that he spoke in verse 15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. What's he talking about? Himself. He's proclaiming the good news of his arrival. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Gospel. Repent and believe. The kingdom of God was where at that very moment? He was standing in front of them. Jesus is the kingdom of God. He is the glory of God on this earth. And when we are filled with the spirit, church, we are kingdom people living in exile in a sinful world. And guess what? He's coming back. He's coming back to rule. He's coming back and there will be no one that stands against him. Now, are we living that lifestyle now that we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that we are not going to fall to this earthly way of thinking, this worldly way of thinking, but like Daniel, we're going to live in exile as kingdom people looking to the Lord, praying to the Lord, seeking the Lord, because we're not concerned about all this luxury that's around us. Because I don't know if you guys realize this, but Babylon was taken overnight. All of that luxury, all of that beauty in Babylon. And the handwriting on the wall comes out and writes, and Daniel says, you've been weighed and found wanting. Your kingdom's being taken from you now. And the Medo-Persians stopped the river and walked right into Babylon without a fight. Because things in this world, although they look enticing, although they may look like everything you want, are fleeting and will fail you. But our God reigns. Our God is alive the kingdom of God, as Jesus was here, was so near that his arrival proclaimed the good news of repentance and belief. And the kingdom of God is where mankind repents and finds cleansing from sin, restoration through the spirit, the infilling and dwelling of the spirit, and times of refreshing then come, as Acts chapter 3, verses 18 through 20 says, in this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Even in the book of Acts, they were saying, pray and repent and seek after God. He will refresh you because we're waiting for the return of our Lord. We are calling out to God to send the king back, to come redeem us. There's a kingdom of God 
This is the kingdom of God. People restored from sin and death unto life and righteousness. And being a transformed people means that we prioritize God's call and desires above all things, seeing them as needs, seeking after the kingdom, just like Mary. But so often we're Martha. So often we're just busy with the work that needs to be done, the chores, if you will. And it's not that God hasn't given us those things to do. The priority needs to be him strengthening us and empowering us to do those things. It's just a shift of priority, but it's a vital one. And when we do that, when the stuff that needs to be done doesn't become unnecessary, but takes its proper place of importance, it's secondary. It's not ultimate. When that happens, we really start connecting with what Jesus says after his therefore in verse 34. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Jesus isn't forbidding thought or forethought. James talks about this subject as well when he says, listen, you should say if the Lord wills, we will go into a town and, and start a business and do such and such a thing. He says, don't say that you're going to go do something without the Lord being involved with it. And Jesus isn't saying we shouldn't be considered like forbidding ourselves from thought or forethought. He's forbidding anxious thought. He's forbidding anxiety and stress and worry from our thought process. He's freeing us from that and saying, be about my kingdom. Seek the kingdom. Seek my righteousness. J.C. Ryle said it this way, prudent provision for the future is right. Wearing, corroding, self-tormenting anxiety is wrong. I'll say it again. Prudent provision for the future is right. It's being wise. But wearing, corroding, self-tormenting anxiety is wrong. Recognize it when it happens. Call it what it is. Church, when we value the reign of God over our lives and pursue what he's directed us to do, uh, we can trust that God will satisfy the needs. The needs. The question for all of us to answer as a church and individually is, how reliant are we on the wants, on the excess how afraid are we that God's actually not going to, we talked about this last week, how afraid are we that, that God's actually not going to provide food, clothing, and drink, but we're actually, maybe that's not what we worry about very much, but what we worry about is losing our excess, losing our comfort. We got a lot of comfort in this country that we're very attached to. They're not needs, it's wants. And so many of us are not only pursuing wants, but afraid to give up the things that aren't necessary so that we can seek the kingdom. We can trust God for our needs. There's no peace like knowing God's our provider. That he's going to take care of the things that I need if I can relinquish the things or the excess that I want. Then there's no rest like the rest that comes in the finished work of Jesus. Amen. Jesus didn't just talk about this stuff. He went to the cross and proved it. He lived it. And so Peter calls us in 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, 
so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. You can cast all your cares on God because he cares about you and he loves you and he wants an intimate, vibrant relationship with you right now. You have not sinned yourself out of that. You have not separated yourself so far. He wants it with you now. He longs for you now. If you're struggling with worry, stress, depression, consider the circumstances of the saints of old. Look at David. People wanted to kill him. His most loyal men all around him wanted to kill him. And he strengthened himself in the Lord. He looked to God and said, all right, it's going to have to be you then. You're all I got. I'm going to invite the worship team up and we'll have a time of just singing together. If you guys would close your eyes and, and bow your heads, I want to read um, a prayer from T.B. Pollock to you and then, then we'll pray together. But let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Lord, give us open ears to hear these words. When shall we know thee as we ought and fear and love and serve aright? When shall we out of trial brought be perfect in the land of light? Lord, may we day by day prepare to see thy face and serve thee there. Lord, that's the prayer that's on my heart this morning for us as a church. Show us how we can day by day prepare to see your face, to serve you on that day that we see you, to have the hearts of people that are seeking after your kingdom, your righteousness, glory for your name, and not concerned with all the things that you can easily provide. If we give it all away, Lord, I, I pray that we would agree with the pastor who said, if I give it all away and, and I walk into heaven because I starved to death, whoops. <laughs> Big deal. Lord, I want to be someone who is sacrificial. We want to be a church that is sacrificial because Jesus, you did not stop at words. You lived it all the way to the end and having submitted yourself in that, that moment of your soul struggling and after that in the garden as you asked the Father to take the cup but you submitted to his will. Lord, once you committed to this path in full obedience to the Father, having received that cup from him, you drank it to the dregs. And so, Lord, make us a people that reflect your heart in this way. It doesn't sound very enticing when we hear it in our flesh. But, Lord, if we hear these words in the Spirit, it's refreshing. It's a time of refreshing when we think of being able to do all that you've asked us to do because of your empowering. And so, Lord, I pray for people here, whether in positions of leadership 
or in positions of just serving others or being at home or being at school. Lord, give us your heart to serve of reliance on the provision of the Father. Because Jesus, our salvation is secure in you. Your blood has cleansed us from our sin. And we thank you, Lord, for what you have done. And we worship you for it because you are worthy. Bless this time as we sing and praise you.